Well, good afternoon from London um, and good morning to you if you're in another part of the world. I'm delighted to be here to chair uh, today's event on the future cybersecurity landscape with John Ellingson. Uh, and I'll leave John to speak for himself a bit about uh, what he does and what Quirks does. Um, but just welcome to you. Uh, in case you don't know me, I'm Mike Wardle. I'm the CEO here at ZN, uh, head of our index group, and um, I'm your chair for today. Um, my job is to get out of your way pretty quickly, uh, but I've got a few things to say before I do. First of all, um, to thank our sponsors. We're very, very grateful at the FS Club. We have a range of sponsors who allow us to range far and wide over technology, innovation, finance and economics um, and provide this series of webinars. Um, and we really are truly grateful for, for their continued support. Uh, the agenda for today uh, is quite simple. Um, after I'm out of the way, we'll have a sort of 20 minute or so presentation from John. Um, and then a 20 or so minute question and answer session. For those of you who haven't used uh, GoToWebinar before, uh, the way to put a question into the um, system is to find the bit on, on your dashboard, which says questions. Um, you can type your questions in um, at any point during the webinar. Um, and when we get to the Q&A session, I'll be fielding those questions and uh, having that conversation with John. But at any point during the uh, presentation, please do uh, put your questions in. Um, those of you who do ask a question, we will um, share some contact details with John, so if there needs to be further uh, follow-up discussion, uh, that may, that's possible. Um, and finally, just to say that we are recording this session, so um, if you've got colleagues who you think might be interested or you want to come back and watch it again, it'll be posted on our website in the next uh, 48 hours or so. Um, just before I introduce John um, himself, uh, we've got a quick poll question to run for you. Um, so the question is here, what do you perceive as the biggest challenge facing the introduction of quantum computing? Uh, we've asked you to select one, it's a forced choice. Um, so if you could uh, click on the uh, issue you think is the biggest challenge, that would be great. And we'll just give you a few minutes to uh, complete your voting. And uh, I think we're just about ready. Oh, there you go. We've got a reasonably mixed response, um, but adoption is seen as the uh, the biggest challenge uh, with science next. Um, so really interesting background as we uh, enter the world of the future cybersecurity landscape. So without any further ado, uh, John, over to you, uh, Chief Technology Officer at Quirks, um, to give us your thinking about where we are and where we're going. Well, I think the first thing is whether or not I'm thinking. Um, that there's some doubt about that. Um, I'm delighted to have this opportunity and I, and I thank my colleagues from across the pond for giving me the, the chance to, to talk to you about this. And, and uh, I'm, I'm coming as not a naysayer about quantum computing, uh, actually quite the contrary, but I am coming with a cautionary tale, um, having spent a big chunk of my 80 years uh, going down similar roads. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be recommending a book that has been very influential to me. Uh, so if we can kind of go to that first slide. Uh, it's, it's a book that's been out for a number of years uh, and, and it's Why Things Bite Back uh, by Edward Tenner. And uh, every time we, we kind of embark on one of these big things, uh, we get so excited about what we're doing that we tend to lose our, our 
the we, we lose sight of the overall picture in being so focused on our wonderful goals. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that, and then I'm going to try to apply this to what we're doing in terms of cybersecurity and the the risks and the vulnerabilities that might come along with it. Some of which we we talk about on a daily basis uh, in this space. Um, so we can have the next slide. Um, one of the things that Peter talks about as an example um, is the under, one of the unintended consequences, and the, you can read what's on the screen as we brought up about power locks for cars, and then it made it easier to lock ourselves out. <laughs> and as a result, uh, there was a downside to that that was unanticipated. So when we when we come to this problem and we think about what quantum computing can can bring to us, it brings both good things and the potential for things we hadn't thought about. Uh, next, please. So we all know the elephants in the circus and the circus parade and, and most of my technical career, I've been the guy with the digital shovel following the elephants and, and working on the unintended consequences of the, of the elephant parade. Um, and there's, I'm sure, going to be some of that with the introduction of, of quantum computing. Uh, next, please. So I think most of us here probably remember the, the Challenger explosion, uh, a, a day that, that gets seared into, into the memories of some of us who were actually watching it. And then I remember watching the commission afterwards, and, and one of my heroes has been Richard Feynman, one of my college roommates, actually was present at Caltech for the Feynman lectures. And I can picture Feynman taking that O-ring and dipping it into the glass of ice water while his colleagues talked, sitting down the panel, and just visually making the point that that O-ring that was supposed to seal the gap and prevent the burn through was actually what facilitated the burn through that led to the challenge disaster. And there's you know been lots of discussions. There's a wonderful book on the challenge and launch decision and, and everything that followed. But it wasn't anticipated that this was going to be the problem. And uh, when we looked at putting the O-ring to prevent the burn through, we never thought that we'd have a cold morning launch and that the O-ring couldn't expand fast enough to prevent the burn through. So we kind of think about these things, particularly when we're dealing with really big ideas. So let's go to the next one. And we talk a lot about, inside of course, we talked about, remember that the guy that invented the ship was also the inventor of the shipwreck. And so, it's important when you have a ship that you invent the lifeboat that goes with it <laughs> and all of the things that we now have to make shipwrecks easier to deal with, but we haven't prevented the shipwreck. So there's kind of a, a, an opposite side. And if you think about how this applies in, in quantum computing and quantum science, it seems to be a natural because in, we've, we've got the cat that exists in two places at once or doesn't exist or maybe exists 
and we have this bimodal existence, non-existence. And what a wonderful way to think about what we're doing is, gee, what's really happening here? What am I not seeing? And there's a lot of things in, in quantum science that we are not seeing, maybe most of it. Uh, so let's go to the next one. One of the things that's close to our heart and at Quirks and that we deal with is the public key infrastructure, which is technology that came to us out of the 70s. And it was meant to protect things by creating this very, very secure credential. And in the process, we attached all of the trust in the system to this credential. Well, what we invented was something that was fungible, easy to steal, and we invented the massive data breach, which is probably was the primary invention, not the security. The, the data breach was probably, on, on the scale of important inventions, a bigger invention than the security that went with the secure credential. And if you were thinking about, okay, I want to invent something, I want to invent something I can attach trust to that actually allows for data to be stolen or the system to be compromised, there was probably not a better invention. I mean, it's a great invention to do that, but was it unintentional? Yeah. Was it because we didn't think about it? Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that, that I think about when I think about system design, and if we could have the next slide, is we, we tend to get really, really focused on what we, on the problem we think we're solving. And Focus is a good thing. We, we really ought to think about what we're solving, but systems don't only operate as intended. They operate every way possible. So let's look at the next slide. Focus has, a, has a, another function. It, it puts blinders on us. And it's critically important when we, when we are doing big things that we don't have blinders on us. I remember a time back in the 70s, uh, I was at, a, at an air show and, and I saw a message sign up at the hotel that said, Wilbur, call home immediately, have wonderful idea, signed Orville. And it was an air show where there was a crash. And I'm sure Wilbur and Orville weren't thinking crashes at air shows when they invented airplanes but we have built an entire industry around the safety systems of airplanes and air traffic control system. We think about all of those things, but we still lose aircraft on a daily basis. Uh, and so it's, it's important that we take the blinders off from the beginning and we end up with a much better output at the end. So let's go to the, to the next so a use case, here we are, we're securing communications in quantum space. That's a pretty big challenge. And we think about this a lot. Um, boy, I mean, do we have opportunities? We think about entangled pair, all of, all of this sort of stuff and spooky action at a distance and the, the kinds of things that we've thought about now for roughly a hundred years. We're not new to this. We've been doing this, if you think about this, We've been doing this for roughly a century. Let that sink in. A century. And here we are, a quarter of the way into the 21st century, 
and we don't have it yet. So let's let's go to the next slide. We spend a lot of time worrying about breaking encryption keys, and is is quantum computing going to break encryption keys? And if you do a search, and I've done one, I can't think of a single attack in which the attacker ended up breaking an encryption key. Why, why would I break an encryption key when I can just steal it? So we, we think about all of the algorithms and we worry, is there an algorithm that a quantum computer is going to break? And when breaking algorithms kind of has become the domain of academics and, and intellectuals who worry about encryption, but in the real world, it's not happening. In the real world, those who want to break encryption are, are stealing the keys. And if you go to the next slide, attackers are not breaking in, attackers are logging in. And that's the problem we need to be thinking about and can quantum computing and, and the use of, of quantum technology in cyberspace deal with that problem. And that's, that's the problem we ought to think about. And if you look at this group of cyber threats, I don't see anywhere on there where breaking encryption keys shows up. So one of the things we need to think about when we're, when we're designing these systems is we want to make them user friendly, but we lose sight of the fact that the hacker is a user too. So let's go to the next slide. If we look at the attack surface and what we're about to do or what we are doing currently is we're expanding this attack surface asymmetrically and, and, and exponentially. If, if you think about the Internet of Things and all of the things that you're connecting to the attack surface, if, if we had put in our mobile phone into our business network or our government network and we take it home and that mobile phone now is connected to our children's mobile devices, which are connected to the Game Boy of their next friend and that goes home and it, it, it the doorbell is connected and we have a network out there that is that is running far beyond what we anticipate and what will be the impact of quantum computer being faster quicker better at doing this is it going to expand the, the, the attack surface even farther is it going to enable the attacker user as well as the intended user there's a lot of things that we need to contemplate as we're designing the system and as, as we look at the overall architecture of what our intent is in, in making this all possible. So, uh, again, the cautionary tale. Excuse me here a minute. Uh, so, I, I just would like to pause for a minute as we, as we design these things, which we do at Quirks full time. Let's, let's go to the next slide. And think about it. We've got an opportunity now to take a fresh look at how we do things. And 
as we this comes along as i said earlier maybe once or twice a century when we're doing this and here we are looking at building a, a quantum network and our and our friends in germany seem to be riding the fast horse at the moment but again the race started about a century ago and we may be able to deal with entangled pairs but it's like building a locomotive and we have no tracks to run it on i think the big challenge we have with a quantum communication network is we don't have any infrastructure we, we look at how can we handle entanglement and we can only handle it in very specialized settings. So let's look at the next slide. And we come back to, to the question of algorithms in, in protecting the system. And the question we should ask ourselves, and we're here in a quantum environment, is there a better alternative to algorithms? And my answer is absolutely. So let's look at the next one. We're all familiar with the, the KISS principle. Let's keep it simple, stupid. And when we're looking at quantum behavior, one of the things that should occur to us is that if we're measuring things, that's a complicated process. The process of measurement really is really difficult and we still can't measure truly what entanglement is we can't we can't define it we, we can't tell exactly what's happening but is there another is there another way to use quantum behavior and quantum phenomena to solve this problem so let's kiss it and go to the next slide we have quantum information the physicist in the 20th century, who was the teacher of Richard Feynman and Kip Thorne and a number of other physicists at Princeton. And Wheeler made the postulate that the universe is composed of information. Uh, in fact, his license plate was it from bit. And if the universe is made of information, why can't we just use quantum information as the source of our entropy? instead of trying to create it algorithmically and what are what flows from the using uh, use of quantum information well we don't have to calculate it we can observe it so let's go to the next slide so remember we had p3po now we have 3pqe which is probability predictability precision and quantum entropy and we can get this through observation. We can watch quantum behavior. We, we can simply count. We can measure it against the clock. We can watch quantum decay. We have a probability that it's going to happen. We can predict that it's going to happen, but we can't predict with precision when, but we can observe when precision when it does happen. And from such things, we can derive quantum entropy. And if you think about the algorithms that we were using previously or trying to derive, their ultimate goal was to provide some sort of pseudo-random entropy, and yet we have a, a rich source that nature provides us that we can get through observation, and it's free. It's all around us. There's an endless supply. And coming back to, to what we do at Quirks, 
that's our bread and butter. Uh, we we build our technology and, and our approach around quantum entropy that we can pick off the quantum fruit trees that we grow in, in our orchard uh, just out back outside the quantum office of, of quirks. Next. So Schrodinger lives and so does the cat. And and I, I leave everybody with the the uh, view that with cats come litter boxes. And it's true of Schrodinger's cat, but you get two litter boxes, not just one. So uh, with that, I'm open to questions or I'd be happy to expand on, on anything. I think I have used all but 90 seconds of my allotted time. Well, thank you very much indeed, John. Um, and yes, we first question um, from Clive Bullen in the audience and asking whether the use of AI is making it even more likely to impact or is AI helping to protect us? You know, I think, I think I, I'm, I'm fascinated by AI, um, but I think, you know, it, it raises the, uh, the, the questions that we've had for as long as, as we've had, had computers. Is it human? Is it, is it not? Um, and I, I played with it a little bit, and uh, I'm not sure that we've answered that question. I think the, all of these are double-edged swords. And I, I cut my teeth very early on in kind of the, the early stages of AI with fuzzy logic. And AI, in my view, is fuzzy logic on steroids. Uh, just, you know, it, it, it's, it's fuzzy logic that reaches back into a wealth of information. Uh, and it appears coherent, but you know, playing with it, it's hard to test. Mm. It really, it's, it's hard to validate, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's not an incredibly useful tool, but it, applying it appropriately, I think, is, is, is the challenge more than the technology itself. And I think that's, that's true with most things. And that's kind of the core message here is how do we apply the technology? I mean, not, not that, you know, a screwdriver is a wonderful tool, but it doesn't do us a lot of good pounding in a nail. So it's, it's how do we apply the technology? And that's true of, true of AI. Um, I do think it, all of this has roles, but we need to really think about not only does it, does it do answer the question in front of me, but what other questions is it answering at the same time that I haven't asked? Sure. Um, Timothy Coleman's come back to the sort of the, the poll results, and I just wondered whether your answer is the same as the audience's. And so, just to remind us, you know, people thought the biggest challenges were uh, science, twenty-nine percent; funding, fourteen percent; adoption, forty-three percent; government, fourteen percent. Where, where do you sit on, or which two of those would you want to comment on? Yeah, I, I think adoption is actually going to be the difficult one. Uh, again, to my answer earlier, is that there's going to be a new infrastructure, and the infrastructure is not there and it's not well defined. Um, we, we we can build the we can build quantum computers. We can solve the let, let, let's assume tomorrow afternoon about five o'clock just before we all go out for a beer, we we solve the entanglement problem and we can send entangled pairs are separated by thousands of kilometers 
and we, and we can do it without any power. Uh, we, there's, there's no burden on the network. It all happens magically, except we've got to stretch a fiber between the two points. Okay. Um, um, don't, how, how do we stretch a fiber between the trillion points on the planet? <laughs> Um, Hugh Peirce has wondered whether new applications um, need new regulation and can the regulators ever keep up? No, they can't. Reg regulations will always chase technology. I think this is the, I'd, I'd almost throw this to one of my, my colleagues, to, to Randy Ford, who was the cyber policy guy. I think it's policy that should lead, not regulation, because uh, policy can work hand in glove with, with the creation of the technology. It's it, regulation is always going to be chasing, and regulation is built on errors. I mean, we make a mistake, so we get a regulation to kind of correct. You know, it, it's an error correction methodology. Um, so I think we there's a cautionary tale there as well. But I think policy is and, and, and the ethical use of things is much more important than the regulation side. Uh, regulation mm -hmm. will always chase technology. Um. We were talking just before the webinar about um, people and what place did, you know, why do people think they had a place in a digital environment? Um, do you think we're getting to the point where um, the new types of cybersecurity that you know, you're talking about uh, can actually protect people from themselves? Oh, <laughs> wow. Uh, can we extend this uh, conversation for about uh, you know two or three years to discuss okay. that question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, before we, we started, uh, my computer and I had had a discussion about what are people doing in a digital environment? People think that, that basically at the clock speed of, of my Mark I Mod A brain, uh, which has a frame rate of about 20 frames a second, rather than, you know, I can, rather than pushing petabytes or terabytes a second through a, a, a computer. Uh, so, so the answer is people can't can't operate at the same clock speed. And so there, there's a, a, a real disconnect uh, between the, the, the meat space and the digital space. Mm. So, I, you know, is, is there a, a stupid detector and a stupid protector out there that somehow is going to make humans, you know, stop doing stupid things? Unfortunately, Einstein had something to say about this. He said stupid is one of the only two unlimited quantities in the universe. <laughs> yes, I think you know the technology with sort of things like two-factor authentication and so on has started to make a sort of a, a, an inroad into how you protect people from themselves, but it's uh, by no means uh, fully there yet. Um, Cynthia Coleman has, um, has, has been thinking about the metaverse and regulators. Um, and just given your thoughts about your regulation always chasing, is there any thought you have about how the technology creators um, could work better with regulators and policymakers from the inception of you know, new concepts? I, I think the importance is the importance of perspective. Um, I learned most of what I know after I left school. Um, most most people today think they they get educated. And are, and are fully educated when they graduate, as opposed to that just opens up the door so you can get educated. Um, if, you're, if you're lucky, it's taught you how to think and you can you know, then start your education. Um, and I think 
the broader your perspective, the better off you're going to be. And I think opening the communication and working together, I think the those who are, again, I'm, I'm going to emphasize policy rather than regulation. Regu regulation should, it, it, because it must follow, it can't, it can't, regulation can't lead. It's just by the very nature of what regulation does. But policy and technology can work together. Policy is goal setting. Technology can implement those goals. But it's important to have the perspective, again, coming back to the things that, that the attacker is the user too. If we're going to make it user friendly, are we making it friendly for the wrong user? Are we making it friendly for, for adversaries, whether they're nation states or criminal enterprises? So I mean, all of those things, I think policy plays a big role and technologists tend to be blind to policy and policymakers are frequently blind to technology. So we, this is where we have to take those blinders off and, and you know, that focus blinder duality should, should be pulled out of the system uh, and, and meld the, the technologists and the policymakers. I think this, uh, next sort of moving on a bit, um, just wonder whether you could expand a bit more on quantum information, you know, what it is and how it could be used, or indeed what products Quirks you know, can offer uh, based on this technology that might be helpful. Well, you know, again, I'll come back to Wheeler, who is uh, uh, probably the, the greatest physicist to never get a Nobel Prize. Um, and, and I think his view is right. I think the universe is information in many forms. And the one of the things that has been most important to, to Quirks and how we do things is the, is the time element. And, and if you think about the disparity between the time element in my 20 frames a second versus the petabytes per second, we're emphasizing using that that very tiny element of time to, to change how fast we can do things in our authentication and our security paradigm of quirks. And that allows us, uh, we're, we're basically defensive, that for the first time defense is faster than offense. So we mm -hmm. put made offense reactive as opposed to defense being reactive by, by using the time element. Well, if you look at how things happen in quantum space and in quantum mechanics and, and, and all of the quantum science, the element that's least predictable and most probabilistic is the time element. When is that photon going to be released? In, 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 in decay, when is when is the event going to happen? Is the one that's hardest to predict. I know it's going to happen. I know I you know I, the probability it's going to happen is 100%, but I can't predict exactly. So, but I can observe it when it happens, and I can observe it very precisely. So it's the observation of that quantum information that's associated with time that is critically important to what we do. And that's, that's the direction we're going in, is focusing on the quantum time element of quantum information. Because it's the easiest one. We're taking the easy path. We're, we're stealing the, the, that time credential rather than trying to dissect some deeper quantum meaning out of entanglement or you know, that sort of thing. Um, because we're not there yet. I mean, we, we, measuring, again, is much more difficult observing is easy so we're doing the easy thing and again time is a wonderful mystery and fun to play with and and 
it's the one thing we have in short supply and being, you know, I'm about to do my, my three to the fourth birthday. And, you know, I, I don't have a endless supply of this stuff called time. None, none of us do, um, but <laughs> the thing is to make the best use of it, I guess. Um, if, if you were sort of future gazing, um, you know, what new technology do you think are going to be unlocked by quantum computing and, and by the kind of approaches that you, you take, you know, if you were having to put your thinking cap on? You know, if, if I were to look 20, 30 years out, it'd be the metaverse. Mm -hmm. I think the metaverse and quantum computing are going to be joined at the hip. Uh, to the kinds of things that you envision in the metaverse, you're going to need the power and speed of, of, of what quantum computing can do. And I think quantum computing will enable the metaverse. Uh, again, my, 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 my colleague, uh, Brandy Ford, is a, is a real advocate for the metaverse. And, uh, and I think he's right. I mean, I, th I think that's, that's the vision of, of the future of, of being able to do things in the metaverse. And I think that quantum computing can really enable that. And, and what risks have come along with the metaverse? I think they, you know, I, I always think about the metaverse of, you know, if, if I have a very clever technology company uh, running the technology on which I'm, my, my virtual uh, reality headset is based, um, they'll be monitoring my every eye movement to try to work out what's going on. <laughs> well, on, so, on a molecular level, I mean, what we don't want to do is create a meta mess. And uh, so, 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 assuming that the future is metaverse and it's a meta mess, um, again, how do we protect ourselves from bad actors in the in the metaverse? By recognizing that there will always be bad actors and that they are in our systems regardless of what we do mm. and, and be, be aware of it from the very beginning again that, that the hacker is a user too and, that, and and make sure that our design from the from the very first day accommodates that and under mm. you know that's built into the system that we don't just focus on the intended user we focus easily as well on the unintended user and and, and build the system around both from the start. Not because up until now, the unintended user is something we've always dealt with as an afterthought rather than design it in. Yeah. Um, Hugh Purse has come back with a question about you know, whether you think the true power of quantum, quantum computing will be through, through money and the oligopoly. In other words, this is not going to be fully distributed to all. It's going to be retained by people with money and uh, and power, and the metaverse is only going to be open to a certain part of the population. You know, I I don't think so. I mean, I th if you look at the history of innovation, it's always been you know it, 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 you never you never know where it comes from, and and it's the innovator that ultimately you know does drives it. And I mean, money 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 makes it happen, but it's the innovator, and then the innovator is unexpected. So, I mean, you can have all the money in the world, but you, if you don't have innovation and, and you can look at, you know, you look at great wealth and then you look at great wealth and innovation. Um, I mean, you, you can look at places where there's great wealth and no innovation, and then you can look at something like Elon Musk and compare the two. And uh, a final question from Tim Timothy Coleman. Um, which is the greatest threat in your view? Is it social engineering? Um, it, as a greater threat in the universe, or is it the technical 
um, threat of um, people being able to do things faster or quicker um, who want to steal from you. Well, social engineering is, is, is something that takes advantage of, of a set of, of circumstances that we have now. Uh, and so, it, you know, it, it, it arose with identity fraud in the, in the 70s uh, and will disappear when it's no longer useful. Uh, uh, the, the other side of that question will be with us forever. So uh, one, one will pass and one won't. So. <laughs> well, we look forward to uh, uh, seeing whether your predictions for the future um, come true. Um, well, we'll probably need some quantum communication to get in touch with me. Indeed, and, and to get in touch with all those in the university who might be trying to uh, work out how to get in touch with us, no doubt. Um, just coming to, I think, the end of the questions, I, th I guess my, my, my final question for you is, you know, what's next? You know, after, you know, so quantum computing is the kind of the thing, and you say that's been kind of in people's minds and thoughts for 100 years. So presumably we're already now thinking about the stuff which will be the game changer in 100 years' time. Have you any thoughts about what that might be? Well, you know, if I did, I'd probably be finding my time spent on Wall Street rather than doing what I'm doing. <laughs> that's true. If you, if you can predict the future, you can always uh, make money from it. Um, John, I think we've come to the end of the audience's questions for today, um, but thank you very much for both your presentation and those, and as I've said, we'll uh, put people in touch with you who've been asking questions through the session, um, and just to remind people that the session has been recorded and is, is available. Um, I have a few thanks to, to, to give, uh, first of all again to our sponsors uh, for enabling this series of webinars which keep us all engaged with new ideas uh, and new ways of doing things. Um, and just looking ahead, uh, we've got some um, other interesting events uh, coming up um, over the, the next little while. Um, so do keep an eye out uh, on our website um, for forthcoming events. Um, on Thursday, employee share plans, for those you heard into uh, the benefits for SMEs of employee share plan plans. Um, a question on insurance on Monday about whether catastrophes are becoming too big to insure. Um, looking at China's growth potential after COVID um, and looking at um, Hungomania agroforestry systems, the transformative tree uh, on uh, next Wednesday. So a very wide ranging uh, set of events coming up over, over the next week or so. Um, finally, though, it just leads me to say a thank you to you, the audience, for uh, attending today and engaging uh, with the question. Um, and John, normally in a conference hall, I'd throw this open for an enormous round of applause. Uh, you have to do make do with a very small round of applause today. Um, but our, our sincere thanks for um, such an entertaining and thought-provoking session. Um, it's been a pleasure um, to go on this journey with you this, this afternoon and your morning. Well, thank you, Mike. In, in the quantum world, it's one hand clapping. <laughs> I shall remember that for next time. Uh, thank you all. We'll see you again on a future occasion. Thank you.